I'm Halima Atta, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Perspective. Contrary to the majority of my episodes, this one is going to feature an interview. So this episode will essentially serve as a continuation of the last one, which was entitled The Duality of Oppression, which if you haven't listened to, you should definitely listen to first, and you would know that it's centered around just that, oppression. So to continue that conversation, I decided to welcome Crystal here on A Little Perspective. Crystal gained traction on TikTok through their content, which highlights race-related issues. And given that they have amassed well over 100,000 followers on TikTok, and they've even been featured on Lizzo's Instagram story, they definitely know a thing or two about this topic. So welcome to A Little Perspective, Crystal. How are you? Hi, I'm good. So just to delve straight into the topic, something I spoke about in the last episode was oppression, and I wanted to focus on its definition, which according to the National Museum of African American History, is a system that regularly and severely discriminates against some groups and benefits others. But this article also mentioned that through the system, we're assigned different social identities, per se. Besides the obvious ones like race, ethnicity, gender, etc., there is economic class, which brings me to my first question. Do you think that higher economic class is a factor which causes people to be oppressed less, or does it just cause people to be oppressed in different ways? Well, I think money, like, money does make life easier. Like, people will be like, money doesn't buy happiness. I'm like, yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't yeah, know how you sure. do it. No, I'm kidding. Money doesn't buy happiness, but it does make life easier. Like, it, yeah, it just makes life easier. So I guess in that particular aspect of, like, class, like, classism, I guess that, like, your life is easier in that aspect. But I still, it obviously is not going to absolve you of, like, going through racism and sexism and all those types of things. But yeah, I feel like more money does make your life easier, at least in the U.S. Yeah, I agree. I've even made an entire episode on that, like, statement and went through, like, studies relating to it. It was pretty cool. So check that out, everyone. It's in season one. But yeah, I think, like, a good example for me is Black people, for example, who live in higher class, more affluent neighborhoods as opposed to lower class ones. There's usually the way that they're I would say that the way they're oppressed is just a little different. It's not completely gone. The oppression is still there because obviously racism exists. But for example, like people, black people that live in higher class neighborhoods, they're usually targeted more per se with microaggressions. So like you act white or like stuff like that. Whereas people that live in, you know, less affluent areas are kind of targeted in more, I would say more blatant ways, but it's dependent on like you as a person, like as an individual. So I feel like oppression can definitely be dependent on factors like economic class, but it doesn't completely make it go away, like you said. So I agree. And another thing I talked about was not fitting the stereotype. So what do you think about people who deviate from the quote unquote stereotype for their race? So like black people, we see this on TikTok a ton, like random black women that will blow up for acting quote unquote white. How do you feel about those who kind of deviate from the stereotype? Do you think it's wrong to judge black people who kind of deviate from the norm of their race? Or do you think there's a shared black experience? I think there are some people who deviate from the stereotype of being black. Nothing is wrong with being a stereotype. My friend Ashley always tells me like stereotypes are just incomplete stories, or maybe they got that from somewhere else, but I heard it from that (laughs) first. And it's like, Like, there's nothing wrong with being a stereotype, but, like, obviously white supremacy will tell you that something is wrong. So sometimes people deviate because they think something is wrong. And I feel like in that case, that is wrong. But we'll never know unless we really sit down and have a conversation with that person who's deviating from the stereotype. But other people just like different things. And white people have mad options for what type of white person they get to be. And it's like, why can't people 
also have them options. So if a black person maybe doesn't like like rap music, for example, maybe they like, well, technically that's not a good example because we created basically damn near every genre of music. But if a black person doesn't do the stereotypical black people things, but they still like are showing that they don't have a problem with their blackness, they still love their blackness, there's nothing wrong with that. Like we should be able to like different things and do different things. So that's how I feel. Yeah, I agree. I feel like kind of pushing, one, the notion that the stereotype is wrong, and two, kind of forcing people to fit within that if they don't identify with it. It's just a very narrow idea of what it is to be Black. And I agree with what you said. I actually have never thought of it that way. White people do have a lot of options when it comes to how they can express themselves. And I feel like when a Black person, like a good example, like the whole like e-boy, visco girl thing, that was like a whole, that's only two of the options that white people are presented with. But whether they chose to identify as like an e-boy or like a visco girl like they weren't judged for that it was just kind of like them participating in a trend whereas black people that even dare to be one or the other are viewed as like you're not proud of your blackness or like you're weird you're different so i think what you said is definitely a great example of that um to move on though another thing i touched on was the general view of oppression within society in my last episode and i arrived at the conclusion that within this country those who are unoppressed typically view oppression differently than people who are actually targeted so do you think that white people and minorities view oppression in the same way or is there a difference no nah, there's definitely a difference you know those white people who like quarantine started and they're like yeah you know i was regular and now i can say five slurs Yes, like, I was going to touch on that. Excited for me. Like, what's happening? What's going on? I feel like white people are more excited to see, like, to be oppressed. Like, they view it as, like, they collect, like, slurs like their Pokemon cards. And I don't know what that's about because you see black people trying to suppress their neurodivergency, acting, quote unquote, neurotypical. You see black kids who are neurodivergent, they, they say their parents beat the, the disability out of them or beat the neurodivergency out of them. Well, that's not how it yeah. works. It, you know that you know that's not how it works but you see black people suppressing the fact that they're gay we're trying to subtract and remove ourselves from more oppressed identities but white people they just be collecting them like their pokemon cards yeah and i feel like it's a way for them to try to distance themselves from their white privilege and like just make it seem like oh well i'm not white i'm neurodivergent and it's like that doesn't absolve you of being racist that doesn't absolve you of all of that so i feel like there's a difference in how they view oppression yeah, for sure. And I, you're literally hitting all the points I was going to hit later in the episode. I think many people that are like just ignorant people in general, they view it as some sort of accessory, I would say, to make them seem more woke, quote unquote woke. Um, and I think a good example of this was during um, the summer era, kind of like the June to August months, primarily when BLM was gaining traction and everything. A lot of white people, allies, quote unquote allies, would be posting very graphic instances of police brutality on their Instagram stories and kind of in the name of activism. And I feel like that in itself was tokenizing oppression, kind of using it as an accessory to appear woke. So I feel like in that sense, a lot of a lot of white people kind of view oppression as an accessory that they can use and like kind of parade around to make them seem less white, to make them seem more woke. So I definitely agree with everything that you just said. So that brings me to my next topic point. How do you think that Instagram, TikTok, all of these modes of social media have affected our view of oppression? Okay, this is kind of an interesting question. Because I remember at the start of quarantine, honestly, I was like, I'm not downloading TikTok. This is so stupid. And then I went from downloading it and now making videos. And it's, I really enjoy it. But I feel like the way people see oppression, at least for white people, I feel like their work, their anti-racist work, it like starts and ends with social media. They just like follow black creators like me 
and then they just like that sounded so cocky but you know they follow like black <laughs> creators who talk about racism and their oppression and then that's all they do and they feel like i feel like they think the work is done when there's like a lot more like you should be reading you should be talking to your family members it should go beyond social media so i feel like people think oppression only like it doesn't happen in real life if that makes sense like they feel like oh, whatever I see on tic- like TikTok, that's all there is to racism. That's all there is to ableism or whatever form of oppression. I feel like that's wrong. Just to build on what you were saying, a lot of people, I love that you said like people think it starts and ends with social media. And I think a good example is, again, around like the time the Black Lives Matter movement was gaining traction in 2020, like the summer era. I remember that Charlie D'Amelio, like the most popular TikToker on the app, like 100 million followers, she <laughs> changed her profile picture to the Black Lives Matter like logo. And, but like she didn't donate any money. I didn't see any headlines. And I feel like that reluctance to donate like financially to these movements is an, a huge reason why I think that a lot of people view oppression as like infographics on Instagram or like it just stops there because they're always so reluctant to make any actual contributions to these movements and they rather would just post infographics or maybe post a black square, like things that make no actual substantial impact on the movement they'd rather do that than like donate for example which a lot of these rich very wealthy creators have the capacity to do but they just choose not to yes and it's like not only is it things that don't make sense it's things that we didn't ask for like you never notice like white people do the bare minimum and it's the bare minimum that we didn't ask for not only is posting a black square the bare minimum i don't know a single black person who asked for that and then when you tell them that they're not doing well i did this that and the third, i didn't even want that it's just like yeah. no and then with the rich white influencers it's like they post about it when it's trending and then they never post about it again and then not to be like not to i'm not gonna name any names but it's like then the big black creators like the bigger black creators once we try to have a conversation about it as with the black community they'll always be like why are you guys expecting uh charlie d'amelio and james charles to give you like and it's like we're not expecting them to but if you're gonna talk about it and off it off of it i expect you to at least say something once in a while like we black yeah. people ask for a lot they just do it to get followers and likes and obviously we're going to be upset about that like rightfully so like this is our lives and it's really a tricky thing because when black people will complain about these issues they're aggressive and like hostile and it's just an issue in itself which is another like very harmful negative toxic stereotype so i feel like another example of that like with charlie d'amelio again i hate like picking on this one girl but um she i remember I forgot when this donation happened, but I think it was when she hit 100 million followers. She decided to donate a lot of money, like I think it was $10,000 to a dance movement um, rather than any like issues that were like plaguing society at the time. Of course, like putting dance programs in low income communities, that's a great thing. But it was very odd because at the time she had a Black Lives Matter profile picture, like BLM in her bio, and then she wasn't doing anything for the movement. And when she had the chance to donate and to encourage her fans to donate to those movements, it was to like a random like dance charity that was unrelated. So I feel like those are when people will complain about those things, then white people will say, oh, you're ungrateful, you're aggressive. So I feel like that definitely demonstrates just like how extensive it is because stereotypes also play a role in that too. So the next question I wanted to ask, um, do you think that the internet, and again, social media in general, is desensitizing us to slurs and oppression? Because like you said, there's a trend on TikTok that went around about like beginning of quarantine, I um, I was just like straight and now I can say like 43 slurs. Like, do you think... Trends like that, just social media in general, are desensitizing us to slurs? Or do you think that it's always been like that? 
I think it's always been like that because you see people. Well, first, I just want to say, um, I don't know how many black people and people of color are listening to this, but if you are a black or person of color and you come across a white person that's excited to say new slurs, you better run fast. They will, I promise you, they will be <laughs> You better run expeditiously. But I do think people were already desensitized because you see, people also talk about like their racist past, like it was nothing. Like, yeah, you know, I just. I stop black people, you know, subhuman, but I've changed, like, <laughs> like, I think it's always kind of been normalized, like, uh, people be a little too eager to tell me about their racist past, I'm like, dog, what's going on, like, why are you telling me that you called black people to end, we're like, it, I don't know, but yeah. it was always kind of normal, yeah. And I feel like, um, I feel like, again, like, I agree with you, like, I have been on, like, every single question, it has been normalized to an extent, like, in the past, at least, but I feel like social media has kind of provided a space for a lot of people to be more open about these issues like the fact that they were racist in the past which should not be normalized at all but it's beginning to become normalized because what i see a lot is you know creators that will foster a very safe space for racists and for sexist people and just for problematic people in general i think a good example was i forgot his name but it was this creator on tiktok he was a black creator i don't remember his name though and he blew up for like making faces after duetting like gay people and then like changing his face like from a positive one to a negative one and he just got a bunch of backlash and something that happened like a theme there the overarching theme of the whole experience it was like a two-month period was that he wasn't explicitly blatantly saying homophobic things but rather he was fostering a space for homophobic people to feel safe so i feel like that's what's happening with the whole racism conversation i don't i think it's been normalized like since a very long time like since the past but i think social media the internet is like it's currently providing a very safe space for a lot of racists to talk about their experiences without repercussions. So I definitely agree with what you were saying. Just to transition to the next question, what is something you think many unoppressed communities don't understand about oppression? Like if there was one thing that you would want someone who is not targeted constantly to know from this episode, what would it be? I guess it's that you'll never fully understand the experience, like no matter how many books you read, Cause even us as, um, I'm going to speak from like the black, like about black oppression, even us as black people, black women, even we're still learning more things about the experience of being a black woman. Do you know the other day I learned that the mammy stereotype can also apply to younger black girls? Like, yes, it's pushed on older black women, but because of the adultification of black girls, period, it can also be pushed onto us too. So I didn't even know that. And now I have extra trepidation. In fact, like, what? So it's like, we're still learning too. So it's like, you, no matter how many books you read or how many black women you know or anything like that, you'll never know the full experience. And that's not, I'm not saying that in a bad way, like you'll never know, but it's just like, you don't really know unless you live it because even the people living it are still learning every day. You put that perfectly. I didn't even know the mammy stereotype could kind of be applied to younger people either. So like, again, I'm learning new things every day. So you kind of perfectly introduced me to my next question. Do you think it's possible for the oppressor to be an ally? Or is that something that we shouldn't expect? The way people use ally is kind of different. I'm going to say it's not possible for the oppressor to liberate you. That's what I will say. And I feel like if we're talking like being an ally in terms of, oh, they're going to help with the liberation process. I don't think your oppressor can really liberate you, but can they like spread awareness and work on work actively every day towards being anti-racist, being anti-sexist? I do think they can do that, but I don't think they can liberate you. So it depends. That question really depends on what you call an ally, but based on what I will call an ally, I don't think you can be a true 
ally because you're still benefiting from the system, whatever system of oppression it is every single day, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think the definition of being an ally in itself has been watered down by the internet, by social media as a whole, because what I've been seeing is that people will assimilate raising awareness with posting an infographic for the day and then going to sleep. Like, that's it. I saw a tweet the other day about this. I feel like we as a collective have kind of moved past the need to raise awareness on these issues. And now we're looking for action from a lot of these marginalized communities, whether it's actually speaking about these issues. So like your TikTok page, for example, or maybe my podcast or donating to these movements, stuff like that. I feel like we need more of those actions to make a substantial impact. I'm sorry. And rather than people just posting an infographic for the day and that's done. And this is coming from someone who makes infographics on a weekly basis for my podcast. We need to stop just saying an ally means you can repost this and that's it for the day or change your profile picture, post a black square. I think we need to get into the root of the problem, which is the fact that even the term ally in itself has been watered down to kind of be more palatable to the oppressor. So that's another issue in itself. To move on to the note of intersectionality and feminism, why do you think that more and more Black women especially, and just marginalized disabled women, for example, just in general, are growing more and more weary of modern day feminism? So a lot of Black women, I'm going to speak on Black women, a lot of us have a disconnect from like what feminism has become today, not what Sojourner Truth was trying to do back then, but what feminism, like mainstream liberal feminism has become today because a lot of us feel like, and we clearly see that it's not intersectional enough. It doesn't focus on racial issues, class issues, religion, all that type of stuff. So because of that, I believe her name is Alice Walker, coined the term womanism. And it was, so it was made by black women for black women to focus on the issues and experiences of black women specifically. So a lot more black women identify as a womanist and I do as well. But yeah, okay. I do talk a lot about the liberal feminism on my page. And I feel like a lot of us are becoming weary of it because it's like white women will use these, like, we'll try to make it seem like we're all on the same team. Like we're all women. And you really want to believe it. You really do want to, you really do want to be girl supporting girls. But then they turn around and all of a sudden they got racist boyfriends. I don't, like, I don't know. So we, a lot of us are becoming weary, weary of feminism because it's like, white women only support us when we're helping them and then when it's time for issues that affect black women but not white women because you know there's issues that affect white women and that affects all women but there's certain issues that affect us that don't affect them so then when it's time to talk about those specific issues suddenly it's i don't know that's not really that important you know we have other things to focus on other things Mm -hmm. in question yeah i agree and i think that's where uh, like you know the liberal like predominantly white like white dominated mainstream feminism is going wrong i think a lot of people tend to like fixate the goals of that feminism movement around really like relevant like irrelevant things for example like on buzzfeed like the white feminism main end goal is like freeing the nipple and then black women are concerned about the fact that black women die at disproportionate rates during child labor and so when we bring that up during you know to white feminism movements oh it doesn't matter right now like that's not what we're focused on so i feel like that's when kind of like intersectionality comes into play because the goals of a lot of white dominated movements are not centered around helping women as a collective or rather white women and i feel like they're just really good at hiding that fact So I agree with everything you said. Um, And so my next question is, do you think that change starts with introducing intersectionality to modern day feminism or is it necessary to just abolish it all and start over? 
at this point, I feel like white women are aware of what black women's problems with feminism. And it's actually annoying the way that they respond because I'll make videos talking like that about like white feminism and white women will be like, you know, can I be a womanist? I'm just, I just don't really like how feminism is. I just don't really like what feminism has become. You don't like what feminism has become and why is it like that? Who made it like that? So I feel like introducing intersectionality to feminism, it could work. And maybe I need to be more optimistic, but I feel like right now the problem is just like white women, like other, like all other white people are part of marginalized communities. They buy into white supremacist ideology and they are racist towards the black people and people of color in their movements. So I don't feel like introducing it because it's already, they already know what it is at this point and they're still choosing to actively be racist and focus on quote unquote more important issues. So with that being said, what are your thoughts on the oppression Olympics? Basically people comparing their experiences with oppression to other people. The term oppression Olympics, you don't know how many comments I get. Oh my God, they're playing oppression Olympics again. And you'll notice that the only people who say oppression Olympics, it's the most privileged people in every community. The only people in the black community who say that it's cis black men. The only people in the queer community, it'll be white queer people. It's only the most privileged people who say it. And why is that? It's because they don't want to admit their privilege. Oppression Olympics, if that's what you want to call it, let's play them. And I want to get first place too. And now what? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that certain people have it harder than others. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Yeah, for sure. And like, I was going to get into a listener question about that because a listener actually asked, is it harmful to compare our, you know, quote unquote, levels of oppression? And I actually asked this question on my Instagram account for the podcast. Over 80% of the people that responded said it is harmful and that we shouldn't do it. So what do you think? Do you think it's wrong to compare our levels of oppression or do you think it's something we need to acknowledge? It depends on how you do it, obviously. Like I was joking when I said but it depends on how you do it. Like, if a white woman is talking, she's just like, yeah, you know, as a woman, blah, blah. And I come in, well, imagine what it's like for me as a black. Okay, that's annoying. But if we're just having a conversation and we talk about how our experience as black women is different than white women and how sometimes our blackness also plays a role in the misogyny that we experience, also known as misogynoir, I don't feel like that's unproductive. I feel like that's a good conversation to have. I feel like that's productive. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like a really common response that a lot of the people that voted it is harmful had was that we need to be promoting POC unity or like um, unity between women. And I just feel like that's such a, you know, similar to the whole money can't buy happiness kind of trope. I feel like it's really, it's too optimistic and I feel like it becomes unrealistic because I think something we've seen like a theme that I've observed within the recent months is that POC unity and just unity within an entire marginalized group it doesn't look like it's very likely to happen anytime soon so when people kind of use it as a rebuttal to oh like we shouldn't we should acknowledge like um, the fact that some people have it more privileged than others I feel like it's a way for them to disassociate themselves from the privilege that they might have because it predominantly comes from white people people that are just privileged in general the next question I have for you is one of the last ones is it necessary to compare these things in order to start the conversation about intersectionality I think it is And sometimes you have to say things that are gonna get people's attention. Like, I don't know if you saw this, but there was this Asian girl that I'm mutuals with and she posted this video and she was like, can we talk about how white women and men of color are kind of similar? And the video got 1.3 million views. And I'm very proud to say that she's my mutual, but a lot of people got upset, but it was not about 
black, well, we're going to talk about black men because we're black. It's not about the fact that black men and white women have the same level of privilege. It's about the fact that they sometimes share similar tendencies to oppress black women. So I think it is sometimes necessary to compare in a way that might even make people upset because, I mean, if I get too upset, at least you're listening. Sometimes, sometimes I do have that mindset when, like, white women come at me or black men come at me. I'm like, well, that means I said something good. That, like, you're definitely listening at that point. So I think sometimes it is okay to compare, to get, at least to get the conversation started. Yeah, for sure. And um, the last question I actually have for you is from another listener. Do you think that oppression, like, in general, is something that will ever go away as time progresses? Or do you think it's here to stay? I think far, like far, far down the line, it could go away. But what I will say is for a lot of people that are um, anti-capitalist or left, I'm just hoping that people aren't thinking that communism is going to make everything go away. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just saying communism is not, that doesn't mean that racism and misogyny and all those types of things are going to go away. We actually have to work to end those things as well. That's what I will say. So I feel like, yes, capitalism exacerbates all those problems that I just listed and more, but it's not going to go away with capitalism. But I think over time, if we really do, if people really do start working on themselves internally and the people around them, I think maybe far, far down the line, all yeah, it could go away. Yeah. And I think that's a good note to end on, like something a little more optimistic, but also a bit more realistic than thinking unity is going to happen overnight, like I said before. Well, to wrap things up, we have reached the end of today's episode. So thank you so much, Crystal, for coming on today. You definitely expanded my knowledge on oppression and intersectionality. And I hope that our discussion can help spark a larger conversation on these issues within both marginalized and non-oppressed communities. So on another note, be sure to keep up with the show on Instagram at a little purse podcast and visit the new official merchandise collection because 100% of the proceeds will be donated to the Black Emotional and Mental Collective. So be sure to check that out. Link in my bio. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's episode and I will see you next Thursday here on A Little Perspective.